0: Love Talk Radio. I'm Linda Campbell, Registered Clinical Counseling Hypnotherapist, Director of the Horizon Center School of Hypnotherapy, and Chair of the Canadian Association of Counseling Hypnotherapists and Educators. It is April 1st, 2016, and you are listening to Hypnobits. HypnoBits is geared towards anybody who's a student or practitioner of hypnosis or anybody who just loves all things hypnosis who's looking for tips to make their practice better or to do more effective hypnotherapy. And today I'm going to talk about a model that I developed for planning sessions that I call the ABC model. Now, one of the mistakes that I see hypnotists making, hypnotherapists making, is that they typically are focusing on symptom relief or they're giving tools to help a person to handle something that they're dealing with. So, for example, they'll take the smoker client and put them in a chair and tell them you're a non-smoker or perhaps they'll do some aversion therapy so that the person's turned off by the smell of cigarettes. Uh, They'll take the client who's getting poor sleep, the insomniac, and they'll tell them, you get great sleep, you get to sleep easily and effortlessly, your mind is calm and quiet, blah, blah, blah. Or they'll give them some kind of a tool to quiet their mind, maybe something to focus on, a, a mantra to do, a meditation to do, a visualization before they go to bed. They'll take the client who's got anxiety, stick them in the chair and tell them, you're calm, you're relaxed, your mind is at ease. Or they'll give them a tool to perhaps get them breathing differently, to challenge any of those negative thoughts that they're having. And this is how a lot of hypnotists are working out there. And my opinion of this is that this has very little value at all, at least initially. And I'm going to come back around to that a bit later. So I want to explain why I take that stance. The subconscious is protective. Its primary function is to keep you safe. And the subconscious is stronger than any suggestions that the hypnotherapist can make. So 99% of the time when a client comes to see me, it's because the subconscious is trying to help them out. But the subconscious is also illogical, so sometimes it's trying to help the client in a way that's not actually helping at all, or it's responding to some old fear, some old belief that the client's picked up that's no longer relevant to where they are in their life currently. So I'm going to give you some examples of what I'm talking about here, a few case studies. I had a client who came to see me who was suffering from insomnia, and this had been the case for many, many, many decades. And when he came to see me, we were really focused on what is going on underneath the insomnia. Now, again, most hypnotists would stick him in the chair and just tell him, you get, to great, you get great sleep, you get to sleep easily. Um, but what had actually happened was this guy, when he was a kid, had come home from school. The dog wasn't around. He asked what had happened to the dog and was told that the dog got put to sleep. Fast forward years and years and years later, he comes to my therapy office, totally forgotten that he was told that about the dog and and probably if he had remembered would have thought it was irrelevant or, you know, I know better than that. I know the dog didn't die in its sleep. But because the subconscious, again, is protective, if it has a belief, if it's picked up along the way that sleep is this mysterious place where something bad can happen to you or you can disappear, then the natural solution, according to the subconscious, is well, then let's not sleep, right? I had a client who came to see me for smoking, and uh, when I had asked how old he was when he started smoking, he said he was 27, which seemed pretty late in life to start smoking. So it kind of set off the little alarm for me. So I was asking details about what was going on in his life at the time that he started smoking when he was 27, and he told me that he got his first real job, that he was on a construction site, everybody there smoked, he was the new guy, he was trying to fit in. So it was a way of fitting in with his peers and also handling the anxiety of, being the new guy and having his first real job. So we did a couple sessions on (laughs) you don't have to smoke to fit in. Actually, the people in your life are no longer smokers. What we used to do to fit in is simply no longer seen as um, socially acceptable. Did sessions on, you know, people like you for you and you don't need to smoke to fit in. There's other ways to manage anxiety and stress, et cetera, et cetera. We're a couple sessions in, no results, uh, when I'm not getting results within a couple of sessions I'm moving on to do some deeper work I want to find out what's actually going on now, you might have heard me laugh about that a second ago because I was on this hypnosis forum. I don't remember which one it was. And uh, a little aside story. Somebody was working on dealing with anxiety with their client, and they were having the client imagine turning down the anxiety dial, but the client couldn't turn it down. Every time they tried to turn it down, the dial would be stuck, or uh, it would move, but then it would flip back up to 10. So the, the client was unable to adjust the dial. And the question that the person asked, in the hypnosis forum was actually should i say it louder yeah that's the problem you're not saying it loud enough scream at your client that'll work <laughs> that'll help with the anxiety so i kind of laugh when i think about this because again the subconscious is forming some it's it's doing something purposeful it has a reason for what it's doing and we don't just want to stick to symptoms keep suggesting away the anxiety keep suggesting away the smoking because that doesn't actually address the symptom. So, in the case of my client who was not getting results with his smoking after a couple of sessions, we did a little bit of uncovering work to figure out what was really going on. And what he shared with me that he had forgotten, or at least didn't know that it was related to his smoking, was that he had accidentally shot a friend of his uh, while they were hunting at the time he was 27. Guess what? Right around the time he started smoking. So the guy didn't die, but he did spend a big chunk of time in intensive care. My client was going and visiting him the whole time. And on a deep level, my client felt so guilty about having shot his friend that essentially he was trying to kill himself with smoking. So I'm doing sessions on, there's other ways to fit in. <laughs> Smoking is socially unacceptable. Uh, you can find other ways to manage your stress, etc., etc. et cetera. I wasn't even in the right ballpark. That wasn't the issue. The issue was this person had guilt that needed to be resolved. They needed to, to not be trying to kill themselves, I had another client who had an abusive parent and developed anxiety uh, because they had an overwhelming feeling growing up of always being unsafe, never knew when the next blow was going to come, never knew what kind of mood the parent was going to be in, what was going to set the parent off, and so they developed this hypervigilance. They come to see me now and they're always keyed up. Hey, guess what? Being around people who are unpredictable, people in a position of authority tends to trigger them. So again, a lot of hypnotists would put that person in the chair and get them to challenge their negative thinking or to learn how to do square breathing or to learn to do a relaxation practice such as meditation or mindfulness in order to manage their anxiety. My approach is different. I'm thinking, why would we give the client a tool to manage something when we could actually get rid of the anxiety altogether? And the way to get rid of it is to move past focusing on the symptoms. If you're focusing only on the symptom, you're missing the point. So I really encourage, if you have not been taught to uncover the cause of your client's problem and then address that cause in some effective way, if you've been taught as Some students that I trained who were trained in Alberta and they came out to take some training with me, um, I discovered that they had been taught how to look for scripts to address the client's issue online. So they weren't being taught to uncover and address cause. They were being taught to research somebody else's generic script to deal with the symptoms that their client has. Ah, It makes me want to pull out my hair. Okay, so the ABC theory. It's based loosely on cognitive behavioral therapy, at least initially. So, the idea is that there are events in our lives that occur. Because of these events, we develop beliefs about ourselves, about the world, and out of those beliefs, we form symptoms. There's coping mechanisms, there's consequences, uh, behavioral changes. So, for example, in the case of the guy whose dog got put to sleep, the dog getting put to sleep, him being told that by his parents, that was the event. The belief that he developed as a result of that was that sleep is unsafe and the behavior, the symptom, the thing in the C column, the consequence of that belief is I'm not going to sleep. Uh, The smoker who shot his friend, the event was he shot his friend while they were hunting. That's the A column. The belief that developed out of that was I don't deserve to live. I'm guilty for doing this terrible thing. And the symptom, the consequence, was smoking. Interestingly, with that story, when we worked on the guilt that he felt around shooting his friend, not only did he give up smoking, but he actually lost weight and changed careers as well because he was also holding on to weight as a way of punishing himself for this terrible thing he had done, and he wasn't allowing himself success in his life because, again, he didn't think he was deserving of it because of this horrible thing. So when we are interviewing the client, I suggest that you pay attention to the A's, B's, and C's that the client shares with you. So you're listening for what are the events that have occurred in the client's life. That's the A, the activating event. What are the beliefs that were formed as a result? Those are the B's. And what are the consequences, the symptoms, the coping mechanisms, the behavioral changes that occurred as a result of carrying that belief? That's the C. So, again, the problem is that clients often come in focused on the C. They come in and they want to tell you about they got heartburn, they got restless legs, they're not sleeping, they've got negative thoughts, they've got low self-esteem, they have a hard time trusting other people, they've got sexual dysfunction, they're carrying extra weight, they want to quit smoking, they want to quit biting their nails. All of those are C-column issues. Those are all symptoms. They're symptoms of something else that's going on. And again, I really want to reinforce this. If all you're doing is suggesting away symptoms, the hypnosis is not going to work. Okay. For example, let's say the person had an abusive parent. And so they developed a belief that they are uh, not worthy because they were constantly being told by this parent that they're never going to amount to anything. So in the A column, you've got the abusive parent. In the B column, you've got I'm not worthy. In the C column, there's going to be a whole whack of symptoms that are a result of believing I'm not worthy. Maybe I don't go after the relationships I want. Maybe I settle for abusive partners. Uh, Maybe I'm financially insecure because, well, I don't deserve to have good things in my life. Maybe I have trust issues because I have a parent who mistreated me. Maybe I have anxiety, maybe I don't sleep well because I feel unsafe so I have a need to be vigilant during the day or during the evening. So there's all of these coping mechanisms, all of these behaviors, all of these symptoms that show up in the C column. If we take away one of those symptoms, Oftentimes, it's like playing whack-a-mole. Have you ever played whack-a-mole, that game where a mole pops up? and you <laughs> This is going to sound so grisly. You hit it with a hammer, and then another mole pops up, and you hit that one, and another one pops up, and you're just basically chasing the moles, hitting different moles. When we address symptoms, if we haven't addressed the underlying cause, then another symptom is going to replace the one you addressed. So let's say this person feels unworthy, and what they're doing is they're eating to try to make themselves feel better. They're trying to numb that feeling of unworthiness through eating. But then you do sessions around weight loss and you tell them that they have a healthy relationship with food, but they still feel unworthy. So instead of eating to try to make themselves feel better, now they start drinking to try to make themselves feel better. And then you take away the drinking. And now because they don't feel worthy and you've taken away their coping mechanisms, they're not socializing because they could only ever socialize if they were drinking, but now you've taken away the drinking. So now they develop this tendency to stay home. So in other words, when you don't address the underlying cause, the symptom just gets replaced with another symptom. Classic example of this. Go to an AA meeting. People aren't drinking anymore, right? But what are they doing on the coffee breaks? (laughs) They're outside chain smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee. Why? They've just replaced one unhealthy habit with another. They may not be drinking anymore, but they still have a symptom or a need that needs to be met and so they're meeting that need in some other way all right belaboring this at this point so the problem is that clients typically focus on the C. they've got a whole list of symptoms they want you to address and even worse hypnotherapists are focusing on the C. so just stop it don't do that anymore <laughs> old timey hypnotists Actually focus on the A on the event. So I was actually trained this way. This and and this is still going on. I, I was trained 16, 17 years ago, but I've actually recently taught some students who are only trained within the last few years in this exact technique. So I say old timey, but it's actually still happening. So in this case. They're focusing on the A. They're trying to change the A. So the technique would be give it a different ending, right? So instead of coming home and discovering that your dog is missing and your parents tell you it's been put to sleep, maybe your dog is still there. Or maybe your parents uh, explain what actually happened to the dog in a different way. Now that's not so terrible, But giving it a different ending, like maybe the dog is still there, sometimes that's what we're trained to do. Like one of those books where you get to the end of the chapter and you get to pick which chapter you read next to give the book the ending you want. Again, I have a real issue with this type of hypnosis. Uh, First off, it is completely dismissive of your client's experience. And there are some experiences that if you took the stance of, why don't you give that a different ending or a happier ending, the client would be really insulted by that. Think of somebody, for example, who had sexual trauma, (laughs) and you tell them to give it a different ending, give it a better ending. Maybe that person didn't molest you. Maybe that person molested you, but they apologized. Like there's no good ending you can give that. And if we try to fluff up the story by giving it a different ending, we're, again, discounting the client's experience. So... Another issue with this is it creates cognitive dissonance. You may be able to convince somebody for a little while, maybe that the thing that happened didn't actually happen, but I've got to believe that you know, the stuff that happens to us is pretty deeply ingrained in our psyche, and at some point it's going to bubble up to the surface. So again, you've got your A, your event. You've got your B, which are the beliefs that developed out of the event. You've got the C, A lot of hypnotists are focusing on the A's, changing the event, or the C's, giving suggestions to suggest away symptoms. I say that where we need to focus is on the B's. What was the belief that was formed because of the event? What did the client come to believe about life, about themselves, about others as a result of the thing that occurred? And this is where we reframe or what I like to think of as hypnotic argument so that the client can think differently about what occurred. And so hypnotic argument. I think of my job as being part uh, detective. <laughs> so I'm uncovering what that A is. I'm doing it in my consultations. I'm doing it in the questions I'm asking my clients. I'm doing it in taking their history. But I'm also doing it in hypnosis sometimes through regression or you know some technique that helps me to identify what's going on with them. So part of my work is detective. But the other part is like defense lawyer, right? The client has a way of thinking And I basically want to argue them into a different way of thinking. So hypnotic argument is making a compelling argument that the client cannot disagree with while they're in hypnosis to change the way they're thinking. So again, another problem with focusing just on the Cs is that the client can typically hear you when they're in hypnosis. And if you ever have a client who thinks to themselves no to something you say or no i don't to a suggestion you give them it blows the entire session so again you have a smoker in your chair you tell that client you have excellent willpower and self-control they're listening to you inside their mind they think no i don't and guess what that completely wipes out all of the suggestions you've just given them about them having willpower and self-control when a client is in hypnosis they are taking in the suggestions that you offer to them but they are also responding to their own thoughts as though they too were hypnotic suggestions. Their mind is not differentiating between the stimuli. They are responding to their own thoughts at the same time that they're responding to yours. So if you say something to the client in hypnosis that they can argue with, something that makes them think no, (laughs) then they wipe out all of the work that you've just done. So this is why I say we need to make a compelling argument that they can't disagree with. So let's look back at the client who had accidentally shot his friend. If I put him in the chair and say, you have great willpower and self-control, you are a non-smoker, you have, I don't know what, clean lungs. I don't even know what I would say, for God's sakes. The client's going to say, no, no I don't, I have terrible self-control. And they're actually programming themselves to make the issue worse. What the client actually needs to hear is, a reframe, a hypnotic argument that addresses their belief that I don't deserve to live. We know what to say about the belief when we know what the belief is and what the event was that created that belief. So there could be you know, five clients I see a day who have the belief I'm not worthy, I don't deserve to live, but it can stem back to all kinds of different things, right? A client can believe I'm not worthy um, because a parent told them that when they were young a client can believe i'm not worried or worthy i'm not worried that would be great i wouldn't have that client because they would never come to see me a client could believe i'm not worthy because they did something that hurt somebody else and now they have incredible guilt over it a client can feel i'm not worthy um, because somebody sexually abused them and so through that person's action they came to believe that they somehow brought that on themselves so they must be a terrible person so there can be you know, there's only sort of limited number of beliefs that show up in the client, but what actually happened in that client's life, what occurred in the A column is essential to know because when we know what happened in the A column, that's where we start to be able to think about what argument can we make based on the context of where their belief was developed. So for the client who was smoking because he didn't feel he deserved to live because he shot his friend, we don't need to talk about, willpower and self-control, we need to talk about how this was an accident that the friend doesn't hold a grudge against him anymore, that in fact this person is still in his life that he deserves to have a life that is rich and full and rewarding, that, you know, whatever occurred back then is water under the bridge. I might even do an exercise where I have him imagine bringing that friend in and doing a dialogue between the two of them where he gets to hear the friend forgiving him. He gets to hear from the friend that there's no grudge being held. Uh, You know, then I might follow up with suggestions. There is a place for suggestions to suggest away symptoms, But it's after you've done the hypnotic argument. Once I've said to the client, in a convincing, compelling way, where he can't fight back, you deserve to live, this was an accident, this person holds no grudge against you, you deserve a life that is rich and full and rewarding, and I address the event, then I can follow up with, now that you know on a subconscious level that you deserve a rich, full, healthy life, you're no longer a smoker. You willingly and easily release your cigarettes. You have excellent willpower and self-control. Once I've created the argument that they deserve to live, they'll buy the rest of the argument. But if I start with you have willpower and self-control without having addressed the underlying cause, they reject it. So my suggestion to you is that during the consultation, you write notes. You listen for the events. You listen for beliefs that were developed as a result of those events. And if the client isn't outright saying them, ask. You know, when your dad lost his job and impacted on the family, what did you hear about that? What were you told about that? How did that affect you? What did that make you think about work or about your dad or about money? You want to really dig and get their, get their perception of how things affected them. And you want to listen for symptoms. So yes, you need to know what the client is coming in for, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to spend a whole lot of time addressing symptoms. So I actually tell my students to write notes when they are interviewing a client, and then to afterwards go through the notes with three different color highlighters. So highlight events, highlight the beliefs that were developed as a result of those events, and then highlight any of the symptoms. And then I actually suggest that they put them on a separate piece of paper those with three columns, one for the events, one for the beliefs, and one for the symptoms, and lay them out in a linear fashion. So event one, dog got put to sleep, the belief that came from that right next to the event in the B column is that sleep is dangerous. The consequence that came from that is I'm not going, or problem sleeping. Next event, da-da-da-da-da, and work your way across linearly, blah, that was a mouthful, And then I have the students address the Bs. We need to know the A to address the B. In order to create the most useful hypnotic argument, we need to understand what the event was that created the belief so we can address it. So smoking can stem from a lot of different places, Uh, peer pressure, fitting in. Uh, I had a client who, when she was a kid, was not very popular, not very liked until because she was bigger and taller than all the other kids and looked older, which was why she wasn't liked, she was picked on all the time, but she was able to buy cigarettes and sell them to her peers. And so that was her way of being popular and being accepted by her peers. So we needed to work through that because giving up smoking on a subconscious level meant to her that she was going to lose her social status, that she was going to go back to being the loser amongst her friends. Uh, I had another client, similar story, who lived in a port town during the war. And during the war, the the sailors would come into the port town and they'd approach the women with boxes of cigarettes uh, as a way of sort of wooing them. And so whoever had the heaviest cigarette habit was considered the most attractive, the most desirable woman. So again... Ironically, this woman was like old and <laughs> a little withered with the you know smoking lines around her mouth and the yellowed skin, and she was still smoking to prove that she was sexy and desirable so again, by understanding the underlying cause, we know what to say to the client in hypnosis to begin to shift things for them. I had another client who was uh, had social phobia, and so his smoking was actually a way of dealing with anxiety. none of his friends smoked <laughs> it 's unacceptable. So when he was feeling anxious in a social situation, he could use smoking as an excuse to remove himself from the situation for a little while and to be able to collect himself. So if we took away that coping mechanism, the way of managing his social anxiety, without addressing the fact that he has social anxiety, well, he needs a new coping mechanism. Probably the coping mechanism will be, well, then I just won't hang out with my friends anymore, right? So we need to understand and address the underlying cause, and by doing so, we're able to resolve the client's original issue. Uh, Another place smoking can stem from, I see this with weight loss clients as well, it can be a screw you to uh, somebody who has an issue with their smoking. So I get clients who come to pay me good money to help them lose weight or help them give up smoking, and yet they've got somebody in their life currently or they've had somebody in the past who has been on their back about their smoking, and even though they want to give it up themselves, they would like to get rid of that habit, they're hanging on to it because to get rid of that habit would be to let the other person win. They don't want to let the other person have control over them, so they're hanging on to their cigarettes as a way of just saying F you to the other person. So again, without knowing that, without addressing that, the client could keep on smoking. Willpower and self-control is not enough. The subconscious needs to hear, hey, you're doing this for you. You're not going to give up smoking because somebody else wants you to but you're also not going to hold on to smoking because somebody else has an opinion about it or else that person will always be in charge of you (laughs) whether you're smoking despite them or uh, giving up smoking because of them they're in charge of your behavior so we're taking them out of the equation you're going to do what you want to for you so to summarize again listen for the events Look at what beliefs the person may have developed as a result of those events. What are the consequences, the symptoms, the coping mechanisms that the person uh, has developed as a result? That's usually what they focus on when they come in. And address the Bs, address the beliefs. You need to know what the event was in order to be able to build a compelling hypnotic argument to make them think differently. We're working on reframing the belief. So depending on what the event was that caused the belief, the argument's going to be different. So this is why we need to know the event. Now, what happens if you don't know the event? What if a person comes in and maybe has anxiety or has a phobia or something, and there's no event that they can point to in your, con- in your consultation with them? Well, this is where having a technique like regression is useful because when they're in hypnosis, you can help them trace back where the problem originated Subconscious is a long-term memory. All of their history is stored within there. So by getting them to focus on um, what the symptoms are and tracing back to the origin of that symptom, I do it in a way where the client doesn't have to relive the experience but just gets clarity around how the experience impacted on them. Uh, In that way, you can uncover the A, and then you're going to move on to addressing the A depending on what came up. So if you've addressed all of the A's, Theoretically, all of the C's that were linked to those A's should disappear. If you've addressed the events, you've reframed the beliefs, they should have no more symptoms in the C category. If you have a symptom that's still hanging around, even though you've addressed the pivotal moments of the person's life and the beliefs that they've developed as a result, there may be another A. There may be something that occurred that they haven't shared with you yet, that you haven't uncovered yet. And so if there's still a C, if there's still a symptom hanging around, trace back to see where that originated. This has been a lot of information. I hope this is useful to you. I have found showing the clients the A, B, C categories, explaining to them that really what we need to focus on is the Bs, actually is really helpful to the client. People come in feeling helpless. They come in feeling like their lives are out of control. They've got all of these things that they can't seem to manage. And when you're able to point out that really we need to work on a, you know, a very finite number of events or beliefs, and the symptoms will take care of themselves. That's really encouraging for the client. It helps them feel hopeful. It helps them feel as though maybe they're not as messed up as they thought they were. So I hope this has been useful to you. Uh, if you would like more information on this, I actually have a handout on it. I also have a template that I use uh, with my students to show them how to take this information and turn it into a session. You're welcome to contact me at info at com. Happy to send you that information. Next week, I'm going to share with you a technique that was developed in one of my classes that I'm currently teaching that we call the throw me a freaking bone technique. And this is a technique when you have a theory about what's going on with the client, but you're not quite sure, a way to test the theory, but it creates a double bind. You test the theory, but it also prompts the client to come up with any additional information or any counter theories in case your theory is wrong. So tune in again next week. That's going to be April 8th at 2.30 for the Throw Me a Frickin' Bone Technique. Hope you enjoyed this show, and please keep tuned in in the future. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire! Huh?